Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining us on The Great Exchange, a podcast dedicated to looking at the world through gospel glasses. My name is Maddie, and just on the other floor from me, <laughs> Nick Semenovich, how you doing, brother? I'm doing very well this evening, Matt. Happy to be back here to record another Scripture Saturday episode with you. Yeah, and you're bringing extra soul to this episode. Sold soulified. <laughs> yeah. He's got a soul patch for all those who are <laughs> unable to see. Um, I went from a, full reform to soul. <laughs> yeah, full, um, I don't know, rock rock band? Like tw- 2000s rock band? Yeah. Look you got going Two th- I think it was about 2005. That 2005, yeah, that 2006, right. that, that, yeah. that's, that's where it came in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good to see you regardless of the soul patch. Um, <laughs> and it's good to, once again, have the opportunity to go through scripture. just want to highlight uh, before we get into the text today, uh, for people to go over to thegreatexchange.ca, not one, not two, but three episodes each and every week. Two from us, our midweek message, and then our scripture Saturday, which you are listening to now. And then we also have our buddy Bryce Clausen bringing the 21st century Christian perspective on Thursdays. Also want to highlight for our listeners, if you haven't checked it out yet, what are you waiting for? We had a wonderful conversation with Pastor Jacob Ray Ohm from the Trinity Bible Chapel, trinitybiblechapels.ca. He's given us such a wonderful perspective on what it is like to shepherd the sheep during this COVID pandemic. It's part of a series that we've thankfully been able to do with a bunch of different pastors from all over the country um, talking about what their experience is like shepherding the flock during this COVID pandemic. And I, I hope you're blessed by it. I think you'll be blessed by the clarity and the conviction that J- Jacob speaks with. And I think you can see why the Lord's blessed his church immensely during this difficult time. So mm-hmm. definitely want to go over the great exchange.ca. Check that out. You will get a podcast in your podcast catcher if you subscribe to the podcast, and we would encourage you to do that for ease of access as well. And you can do that on um, all the different podcast catchers were on there. So definitely check that out. Um, You can go to thegreatexchange.ca and check out all that we've got going on over there. But Nick, before we jump into the text today, can you do us the favor as you're so equipped at doing can you break down how we got to where we are and give us some context for the text that we're about to look at? Yeah, so so far in our look at the book of Genesis, we saw most recently in the story as it unfolds is that there is a great famine in the land, uh, not just affecting Egypt, but heading into Canaan as well. And with this famine so severe, it forced Jacob's sons to go down to Egypt where there was great grain stored from those seven years of plenty as Joseph wisely prepared Egypt for. Um, So those brothers went down to the land of Egypt to purchase grain for the salvation of their family. After a couple interactions, a couple going backs and forth, uh, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and called for his family to come down to the land of Egypt that they might be saved from the years of famine that were still to come in the future. So 
In the last couple weeks, we've seen the family migrate down to Egypt to be settled in the land of Goshen. And in last week's podcast, as we looked at the first 12 verses, we saw that Pharaoh was brought, his, uh, his brothers were brought to Pharaoh, I should say, as well as Jacob was presented to Pharaoh. And in those exchanges, we see that they submitted themselves to Pharaoh so that they would be thought of as good stewards in the land, be taken care of. And in Jacob's interaction, we see that him bringing a blessing to Pharaoh, um, which shows itself out in the next several years where Pharaoh will be exalted in the land as the ruler who is going to gain great possessions as this famine continues. And that's kind of where we see ourselves in the text so far speeding through history up to this point uh maybe not so speedily but we've been pressing through and we find ourselves continuing today in the book of genesis in chapter 47 yeah we find ourselves picking up in the 13th verse of chapter 47 and lord willing we're going to get to the end of that chapter in today's program so let us take it bit by bit as we're so uh, want to do here. We'll read the first uh, verse 13 through verse 19, and uh, then we'll regroup and take a look at it, and then we'll move forward. So picking up in verse 13, now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, and the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate." Mm-hmm. So here we see the hardest parts of the famine now as it continues to press upon the land. Um, all the food in the surrounding lands have dried up and everybody is using whatever money they currently have to buy food to eat. And it's very interesting as you look at this text because very quickly all the money that they have is spent there's nothing left and as you look at this text and as i looked at this text um, money is not going to help when it's all that you have right when it's gone mm -hmm. it's gone uh, so the people ran out of money and they had nothing 
at this point in time to trade for food. They had no money left. So the people cried for food, as we see here. But Joseph wouldn't give them free handouts. This isn't, uh, you know, a big socialist program where people are just going to get free food. Because there were still things which the people had to be able to sustain them in those years. So what we're seeing here is well, if you're out of money, then you have to resort to your possessions. And then later on, if you're out of possessions, then you resort to the last thing remaining, which is your bodies. <laughs> mm -hmm. So so the people quickly started um, giving up everything that they had in order to keep themselves alive. And they sold or they used all their money. They used their livestock. And when all that was left in their bodies and their lands, they were very quick to give those things up. And it's, it's kind of interesting how it works because as this famine continues, their land is fruitless anyway. So it's not going to be able to produce the crop necessary to sustain their lives. So they are willing, very willing to give that up very quickly. And the most important thing they have left is their bodies, but they're willing to lay down their bodies and their freedom in order to keep their lives. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, I can't help but see that, you know, in what we've read here um, in these first few verses, we have a count, an account of Joseph dealing shrewdly with the Egyptians. Oh, yeah. And um, we're seeing his prophecy come to pass. Right. The prophecy was there's going to be seven years of prosperity, then seven years of famine. But that famine would be so severe in the land that it would make people forget the prosperity that they once had, which means it's going to be so severe that all this abundance that they've kept up, that we they've stored, it's going to be, you know, taken down to the dregs. People mm -hmm. are going to forget the abundance that they had because that's how severe this, this famine was going to be. Um, I can't help but notice an important contrast between the scene that's set in these verses and what we see in verse 12 here of chapter 47. And what we see in the preceding text is that Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. So we see in the household of Jacob that through the intercession of Joseph, they are richly blessed. That at the very same time that the famine's pressing hard in on Egypt and the surrounding territory of Canaan, it's this small little tribe in Goshen, the household of Jacob, who God is richly providing for. Um, so there's a huge contrast between the people of God being blessed through the intercession of this, you know, this kingly figure. Um, and then all those outside of that being, you know, sore oppressed by this great famine. And I mean, the, the famine was bad, right? The text literally says Egypt and Canaan, the whole surrounding area languished. Mm hmm because of it they were under severe affliction um and it it just brings to my mind nick that without the continued hand of god's providence upon us 
we couldn't even provide. We could even put our daily bread on the table, right? That's what our Lord teaches us that we ought to beseech God for, that we ought to pray for this daily bread because without the Lord's blessing, we would utterly perish and waste away. We would be as though we were in the Egyptian desert in the same position as these people who are languishing because of the famine. Yeah, and this text as well, um, with that in mind, provokes a great question, not only for the readers of this text, and which would be immediately the Israelites as they are exiting Egypt, but a question for us as well. The question that we see arise, I think, from this text is, what will a man give to remain alive? The, these people are willing to part with everything they have to live on earth for a few more years. But how much are we willing to give in this life so that we might gain eternal life? And this is a question, a very sobering question for us to ponder, especially when there's great pressure to compromise um, our Christian faith. And this, this pressure isn't even at its greatest extent right now. But as Christians, we ought to be willing to lay down our lives so that the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, which really is like a, a balm, a soothing balm to heal men's souls, which are hellbound, would be proclaimed to the nations. That gospel would be proclaimed to the nations, that men might be saved. Because if we really think about it, these men were willing to part with earthly goods for earthly life. But are we willing to part with all that we have so that we might gain Christ? Because if we're not willing to lay down our lives, we're truly not willing to have Christ. Because Christ says, you must be willing to part with all to gain me. If you aren't, you are not worthy of me. That, that's a question that I started thinking about as I went through this text. Because to gain a few more years in this life, to go through another few years of hardships, and then maybe in the future gain a little bit of ease and comfort, is nothing in the grand scheme of eternity especially when we understand that we have to reckon not just with a pharaoh, not with an earthly king, but with the king of kings and lord of lords. And that is such an important thing to bring up. That's exactly what I was thinking, how fixated we are on the things of this earth, and we're not putting first the kingdom of God. And it made me think of um, our Lord's discussion uh, with with people that were surrounded ar around him and with his his disciples, and when he's talking about not being anxious about what we should eat, what we should wear, right? Luke twelve verse twenty two through thirty one, and he said to his disciples, "Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on." For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow, sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small as a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, 
which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Indeed, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. So, Though the reality is we would utterly perish and waste away without God's gracious providence towards us, God's great care for us outstrips our need for those those ordinary you know graces in our lives, right? And we should not be ashamed to rely upon such care, right? I know we as men are called to per- you know, uh, provide for our household. We're to be shrewd and good stewards of what God's given us. And we're, we were to be working for his glory and, you know, seeking to provide for our family. But there's going to be times of weal and times of woe. And in times of um, famine or in times of poverty, we should not be ashamed to call on the Lord and to put a faith and trust in him first and foremost, because, you know, as our Lord is kind of arguing in Luke uh, here, he's saying, guys, why are you worried about all this stuff? Because God's giving you his kingdom. If he's not going to withhold his kingdom from you, why would he withhold your daily bread? Right? So, that's something that we should keep in mind. If God is giving us the true manna from heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, the very bread of eternal life, John 6, 35 through 51, how can we think for one second that he would not provide what we need in this life? And that should give us a, a, a courage to live life not out of fear but out of faith and that's what I really want us to focus on too because though we desire the goods of this life we should much more desire to eat the imperishable feast of Christ's body that sustains not only our bodies but our souls as well Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's really important for us to remember in our daily struggle. Christ is worth more than everything else that we can grab hold of in this life. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, we see after that is um, we see Joseph's shrewd care and good monetary policy, right? We see that Joseph did in this text as he advised Pharaoh, right? In in chapters 41 through 30, 31 through 36, when he was giving his interpretation of the dreams and saying, set over yourself a discerning man who's going to be able to, you know, put away enough grain and have enough money to provide for people during these thin years, we see that Joseph did as he promised. He played the part of the discerning and wise man. And it wasn't just that he 
um, believe the word of God, but he practiced what God called him to, right? He was a good leader in shepherding those under his care, and he adorned his orthodoxy with orthopraxy. He put into application the very words of God, and he did so in a way that sustained the lives of many. Because if he was negligent in those tasks, many lives would have been lost. If he said, sure, I believe the word, but, you know, I don't actually think this is going to happen. And he acted as though he was, you know, as the foolish man, manner, manager in the parable Christ tell, just presuming on the never ending abundant prosperity of God, he would have not saved in this way. He would have not been shrewd with this money. And the, that just brings um, to mind what we're dealing with in um, North America and Canada and the United States of America. We're going through crazy inflation. We're going through a a recession of our government's making, but they can't get out of their own way because they can't stop blowing money into the system and devaluing, uh, you know, the currency and then doing the very things that then lead to higher prices, more inflation, and they're not being good stewards. They're not being good shepherds. They're not being discerning of the times and that is going to have and is currently having drastic effects on the people that God's placed under them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we really got to watch out. <laughs> we really do, because inflation is a hidden tax, my friends. Yeah. Right. By devaluing your savings, by putting more money into the markets, that is a way that the government takes because then the uh, as prices go up, the their share of tax revenue goes up. So inflation is a hidden tax, and it's one that a lot of people feel. And I think we're hitting numbers that you know in my lifetime have never been seen as far as uh, inflation, and it's because of poor fiscal and monetary management from those who are have been placed over us because they are not shrewd. Um, and that because they are not godly leaders, they are acting in foolish ways and not discerning the times. So that really leads us into Nick Joseph's initial bargain with the people, right? The, the Egyptians come to him and they're utterly spent of their resources. We don't have any more money, Joseph. <laughs> you, you are wise. You, you, you stored up this grain, but now we don't have enough, you know, medium of exchange. We don't have enough money to pay for this grain anymore. So what are we going to do? That's the problem that's presented to Joseph. And the price, and praise God for Joseph's graciousness, is he comes up with a plan and he says, that's okay. I see that you have livestock. Livestock are of great value. If you sell me your livestock, I will give you grain in exchange for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what he's doing here is he is seeing what resources they have left. And though they have livestock, it's it's incapable of producing a crop. The, the land is famished. It, it is uh, unable to produce anything for them to be able to live and sustain life. So he just grabs whatever they have whatever they're willing to part with 
so that they might continue to live their life in the land of Egypt. Um, and it comes from even going from their money down to their livestock so that they might survive that year to their next statement to Pharaoh. We got nothing left. Yeah. All we have left is our land and our bodies. 89. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer. The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Do you love listening to The Great Exchange? You can subscribe to our podcast on any one of these podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, and have two engaging episodes delivered to your mobile device each week. Our midweek message covers a myriad of topics and teaches us to look at them all through gospel glasses. And our Scripture Saturday episode is just that, an opportunity to study the Bible one passage of Scripture at a time. Miss an episode? Visit our website, thegreatexchange.ca, and you will find the complete back catalog of our episodes. And don't be shy. We love to hear from you, our listeners. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're not social media savvy, send us an email to thegreatexchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining in our ministry as we help you look at the world through gospel glasses. Yeah, sadly, the Egyptians themselves weren't as shrewd as Joseph, right? They weren't rationing their food supply appropriately, right? Knowing that they're in this severe famine, what measures were they taking to, you know, ensure that they were going to have food and resources? You know, though, it, obviously, seven years, they were probably stretched very thin. But you can see that they kind of go to Joseph again, and they're like, ugh. We're not going to lie to you. We've used all that that last year's uh, grain supply. We've used it up, but now we've got nothing. We've all we have is ourselves and our land. Um, so Joseph says, "Okay, I'll make you a deal. If you will will work for Pharaoh, if you will sell yourselves into indentured servitude, and you'll sell your land with you, then we will give you seed." that you can plant the field will give you grain as well that the, the, he grants their requests, right? This is their request. A lot of people think that Joseph is taking advantage of these people, but listen in this, uh, in this situation, he's got to be accountable to Pharaoh. And he's also got to ensure that he's wisely caring for these resources because we've seen that the Egyptians unfortunately have not been the best stewards of what they've had. So, you know, he exacts a 20% tax off their harvest, but in this situation, what happens is he provides in such a way that the amount of grain and food that's going to be produced from this deal is enough to sustain people by far. Right? So, I can't help but think even the people who kind of look sideways at Joseph here as though he has robbed them. Um, they're not even reading far enough into the text because in verse 25, that's not the reply of the people. 
Far from feeling as though Joseph has robbed them, they celebrate his graciousness and his wisdom saying, you have saved our lives. But we do see something here in Nick, and it's, it touches on something that you've talked about. We see in this situation that the borrower is a slave to the lender. That's Proverbs 22, verse 7. And that is something that we ought to keep in mind is we must be shrewd and diligent stewards of the gifts that we're given, lest we end up in chains, enslaved by our foolishness and our poverty um, because we're not managing what God's given us well enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting, this whole text here, because it does not show that Joseph is evil in any sort of way. The people are willingly indenturing themselves into Pharaoh's service. They are, they are willingly submitting themselves to be Pharaoh's slaves for however long it would take to pay back this, their salvation. Mm-hmm. What I found very interesting in this text as well is to see that in their response, it really gives a testimony to how one responds when salvation is given. Right? Joseph offers to give them what's necessary for life for them to be sustained throughout the years of famine. And in this, they say, when Joseph gives them this, well, we'll take 20% for Pharaoh and you can keep 80% for yourself. They said, well, you've saved our lives. We will be servants for Pharaoh. We will do whatever is necessary for us to live in the care of Pharaoh because even in this hardship, you've still kept us alive. So as we, as I brought up before, you know, what is a man willing to give for his life? Well, it was, it's everything. He was willing to give everything for his life. Well, then the next question is, well, when a man's life is saved from death, what will keep him back from offering everything to the one who saved him? Right? Mm. This is the same sort of scenario that the Israelites, as they're reading this account of Joseph as a type of Christ, bringing salvation to the nations a way of keeping them alive to the nation, seeing how they were willing to put themselves in the service of a king. Now the Israelites, as they exit Egypt, they're saved by God. And as it turns out, it's through God sending Joseph down to Egypt. Well, how is that salvation truly brought about? First off, they're saved because God sent Joseph to Egypt to suffer. And in a way, He was even brought back from the dead, as we talked about. There was like a resurrection in Jacob now seeing Joseph again, thought he was dead, but now he's brought back to life. And through him, he saves his family and many more. Mm -hmm. Well, if if we don't see the correlation to the gospel, we, we don't have those gospel glasses on that we need because the son of God is sent into the world. He suffers, dies, is brought back to life. For what purpose? To save his family, which is people from all over the globe, including those who were to be part of this scenario in Egypt, right? Mm. Yeah, he purchased, he literally purchases another sheep of another fold in this this scenario, right? Exactly. So when you look at this text, and as I look at the text too, we see that God is saving them. So how ought to, or how ought they to live? 
Same thing for us. If God has saved us, what sort of lives are we ought to live? And if in this scenario, Pharaoh or Joseph says, you have to give 20%, well, how much more ought we to give to God? Do we just give God 20% or, or 10%, you know, give our tithe of 10%? Or do we even say, you know what, God has done a wonderful act of salvation for me. I'm going to give him 99%. It's not sufficient. It's all or nothing. Because Paul tells us, and Christ tells us, if we aren't willing to give all for the Lord who gave everything for you, you're not worthy to be called into his service. This is something that we have to recognize ourselves because Paul says you have to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord. That's Romans 12. Yeah, that's reasonable. Now, right? that, that's that's a, reasonable worship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give your entire life to him. Because that's rendering to God what is God's, right? Exactly. And when we look at this text here, we can see that the Egyptians think it's Joseph who has saved them. They missed the reality that it's God who saved them. They only went to Joseph and said, you and Pharaoh have saved us. But Joseph knows it's God who saves. Because Joseph even told his brothers before, don't be upset over what you did. Don't quarrel about what you did. God sent me here for the salvation of many lives. We have to be willing to see that it's not men who save us. It's God who saves us. And we ought to give our reasonable service, which is our lives, our livelihood, everything to God. Even if it means a little discomfort here and now, we have a great inheritance waiting for us, a great promised future waiting for us and it must please us to know that we get to be in service to the king of kings to be called into his family to be a servant of him for the benefit of everybody else and that's exactly what is happening here they're giving 20 percent to pharaoh and pharaoh's going to use that hopefully in a just way but we can see that he's going to use that. God is ultimately going to use it for the benefit of others. Yeah, and I think that's a super important point for you to bring up is we need to understand that if this is a beautiful, gracious thing that Joseph has done, how much more should we want to give um, since we were bought by even more precious of a price, and that's by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the better Joseph has purchased us and all we are, um, so we ought to work graciously in his kingdom and for the upbuilding thereof. So let's read through the text that we have commented on a bit here. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's as for the people. He made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other, only the land of the priests. He did not buy for the priests had fixed and had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, 
Behold, I have this day bought you in your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, as and as for food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives, right? That's what I mentioned. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth the, of the land of the priests and the priests alone did not become pharaohs then we see a shift in the text uh, we see a shift from joseph shrewd's dealings with the egyptians to now what we're going to see a sworn oath between israel and joseph at um israel's impending death here and Uh, Verse 27 to the end reads as follows. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found a favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, that being um, Joseph, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like getting back to the story as it were, because we were trying to really focus on Jacob and his, you know, migration down to Egypt. And it was in a way interrupted by all that was happening in the land of Egypt. But it's set in a great contrast, as we kind of mentioned at the start of the podcast as well, to set up that the great there's a great distinction between the people of God and those outside of the camp, uh, in this case, the camp of, in Goshen. And it is to show how God continues to bless his people, even in the midst of hardship, because as the rest of Egypt is going into servitude, they're going to be slaves of Pharaoh, we see that as Joseph was taking care of his family, they didn't just stay in the land of Goshen and just get by, you know, without having to go into indentured servitude. They were fruitful and they multiplied greatly, it says here in verse 27. So they're in the land. And we talked about this, I can't remember if it was last week or maybe it was two weeks ago, about how the family of Abraham hasn't really expanded much over the past years. But now we see that they have settled in a land, they're now beginning to um, multiply their by numbers and really begin to be established as a people group in it and unto themselves. And what we see here is kind of a long-standing view now. We saw the honing in on the famine and how Joseph was going to now provide for the Egyptians so they might plant and gain food again for themselves. So the seven years of famine has ended. And 
we see in verse 28, Jacob lives in the land 17 years. And then there's just that kind of that hint towards this must be the end of Jacob. Now, this is the end of him because Jacob's life were 147 years. So we see that now this is the end of the, the, the focus in on Jacob in one sense. And it's going to transition in the next couple chapters over to the next generation. It's going to be coming into focus more prominently. And it's the, our eyes are being taken off what we thought was maybe at one point in time, that chosen seed, that promised descendant going down to the next generation, the next descendant from him so that our eyes might be fixed and start looking again for that promised consolation, that promised redeemer, that one who is to be the savior of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, see- you're seeing in the prosperity of Jacob's household in Egypt, the fulfillment of the promises given to Abraham at the first. And we're really seeing this household of Jacob proliferate, as you mentioned, and that uh, the Abrahams of or the descendants of Abraham become as numerous as the sand on the seashore, or it, at least it's going that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you see here? You see here Jacob making an oath with Joseph knowing that his death is um, just around the corner, it's imminent. He asks Joseph, you know, I appreciate you. I'm so glad I see you here in this land. But I want you to promise me one thing, that you will bury me with my dead, that you will bury me with my fathers in the land of promise that God has given us in Canaan. I need you to honor this last will and testament of mine. And we see Joseph place his hand under his father's thigh, right? Which is um, a custom in the ancient Near East when doing covenants. Um, It's a a sign of promise and and of swearing. Um, And he agrees. I certainly will do this. And no doubt that gives Jacob great comfort to know that he will um, at the last be in the land of his fathers and not buried in the land of his sojourning. And that's really what brings us to the end of the chapter. And as you made mention, this is something we're going to need to keep our eye on because this is really a big transition point. The The last chapters before us of Genesis are this transition from the household of Jacob into um, this this picture of God's people living in this foreign land that will then pick up in the book of Exodus. Mm-hmm. And, and just as a, a closing note here as well, when we when we look at these last verses in chapter forty seven, we see that Jacob is really resting the end of his life upon the promises of God, because when Jacob and his family were going to go down to Egypt and and God speaks to him in chapter 46. He says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'll, I'll make you into a great nation and I myself will go down with you. I will also bring you up again and Joseph's hands, hands shall close your eyes. So when you get to the end of the chapter here, we see Jacob really resting upon the promise of God. 
So he was going to live in Egypt. He was going to die in Egypt, but he was going to be buried in the land of Canaan, in that plot of land where Abraham and Isaac, Isaac and others were buried. And he calls for Joseph at the end of his life here, when he knows that his time for transitioning to the next life, to the next resting place is coming. He calls for Joseph because it's going to be his responsibility to deal kindly with the earthly remains or his earthly remains. And he wants to see God's promise come to pass. And even in his death, he desires to see God's word be fulfilled. And what I found very intriguing about this passage and, you know, posing a great question to us as well is, you know, Jacob here, as he is coming to the end of his life, he wants to be gathered physically with his forefathers, with those who are of the household of faith. That's his great desire is to be close to those who are his own. And it's kind of a thought-provoking question for us, for ourselves. Is this our desire? Is this our desire to be at the end of our lives gathered together with all the saints of all ages? Is that what we're looking forward to when our time is completed? Whether that be when we're reaching a great old age or if we are suddenly taken. What is the intention and desire of our hearts now? Because God has brought about a great salvation for us and we ought to look forward to being with him more than anything else. In our current context, we get the the foretaste of heaven in our weekly church gatherings. And that's why it's so important that we gather every single week to worship together corporately because it's a great foreshadowing of what is yet to come. But when especially when we come to the end of our lives, we ought to look with great expectation of uniting with all the saints of all ages that we might worship the God who has redeemed us from our sin, from his wrath, and from our great enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, so that we can rejoice with all the saints over how wonderful and lovely and amazing our God is. And I see that here in the life of Jacob as he is ending his life. This is what he desires. And that should be the ruling principle for our life now and especially as we reach the end of our days as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, brother, for going through this text with me. We hope people appreciated um, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this uh, walk through the book of Genesis as we reach close to the end. We don't have many more weeks in this book. Um, Hopefully by year end, we will be finished and... um, and then we maybe we can you know take take a brief pause in in walking through scripture and stuff uh, for the new year and around Christmas and stuff like that. But that's Lord willing, um, we'll get to that point. We really hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, just want to highlight for you thegreatexchange.ca. Check out all that we have going on over there, um, and check out all the podcasts that we have three every week. Um, and you can check them out at thegreatexchange.ca or find us on your podcast catcher. Just search The Great Exchange. If you want to contact us, contact us at thegreatexchange.ca. You can check on out the contact page or you can email us directly at thegreatexchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for tuning in. But as we say at the end of every episode, it is finished. <laughs>